listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I just got done with the treadmill workout on my incline trainer, which I fixed by just getting mad at it and kicking it multiple times. It started to work again. What was it doing wrong? It was a wiring issue with the wires telling it what to do appropriately, especially with the incline going up and down. So I got real mad at it, and I just started stomping on it and kicking it and grabbing all the wiring housing and just jiggling it and yanking on it. And I was like, F you, treadmill, I hate you. And then I pushed the button to move the incline, and it just like went like it should. And it's been working ever since. (laughs) Here you go. Life hack. Let's not belabor my point. Yeah, it worked. Um, I'm going to belabor your point. What in was fact, your I, uh, five minutes on, five minutes float at 15% for 40 minutes. It sucked. I it actually just was programmed 5-5 five, five for two different athletes this weekend. On flat terrain? I one assume flat, outside. one uphill. Well, the float is interesting uphill because your legs never get a break and it's a prescribed rest, but the rest is in quotes. I was still in threshold the majority of my float. Mm. So and by the end I was almost like my heart rate won't come down. So anyways, turned out to be a doozy. How many rounds? Uh, five five uphill float. Only four. I said I'd do it till my heart rate breaches one eighty and it breached one eighty in round four and I was like okay. <laughs> That's all it took. Yeah, it's a much all more right. aggressive workout than what I prescribe mine was a quality long run so i what i'm curious because well, we that both one prescribe this and we both execute this one a version of this how mm-hmm. do you execute the float or the rest uphill this is something i'm very interested in you and i haven't talked about this how do you program your float or your oh. rest what do you do during it uh, when we're talking incline workouts uh, well, on the treadmill <clears throat> well i've never prescribed this workout to anybody this was i so this is my own i was curious this about it, and version. it um the five five float uphill, yes, but the float okay. was aggressive, so my heart rate never didn't come down notably. But okay. it goes back and forth. It may be what I've been doing for athletes, and this is uphill or flat, is the float is a prescribed pace or speed on the treadmill. And depending on how aggressive I and then I don't prescribe the on pace at all. I say, Here's your float okay. pace. Let the yeah. on be what it will be, which we've done, so they will only get a float prescription. Uh, gotcha. what about you? What what I've been doing, and I, I guess I don't do the uphill version of this very often because I don't currently work with many people who want to do their quality work on the treadmill unless they're going yeah. steep, steep uh, for, for their long quality. They don't mind doing their their interval work, but this, for the quality long run. So what I found myself doing is for my rest period, I just lower the treadmill 5%. Mm. And I keep, keep the, the mile per hour the same. That's the float workout for sure. That's brutal in itself. Yeah. And I found that 5% for me, for most paces, is enough that it's a reprieve from the work. And it feels comparatively easy. But then it makes getting back to it real work. And it, it separates the work a lot. But I end up not keeping the incline the same very often anymore on my on-off uphill intervals because... Mm. I, I think my legs really appreciate the the switch of the stress, like the angle on the rear chain, calves, Achilles. So like a real common for me is 15% on 
for my on and 10% for my off or 20 and 15. But I just drop it 5% and that usually kind of solves it for me without having to think. I like that. I like that a lot. And really it becomes a a leg fatigue game as much as like an aerobic stimulus fatigue game. At 15%, my legs just feel like lead the last 20 minutes. They just don't want to move whether my heart rate's elevating like I want or not. So I could see some benefit to that. Um, I haven't done that before. Ah, I shouldn't say that. I would do that when I've done a 60-minute max gain. I will keep the speed the same, and the only thing that moves is the incline, uh, which I do like. The interesting thing about it with your style, yep, exactly, 30, 20. Um, And maybe it's five minutes at 30, one minute or 90 seconds at 20 back and forth. But yeah. The interesting thing about that style, your style, I would assume, would get the same heart rate response. And then my style, I know did because I got it today, is the back half of that workout, when you transition from your hard to your float, you know, mine were only like a mile per hour difference, which isn't really that much. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. My heart rate would stay at the end, the last two floats. I was hovering in the low 170s for the first two minutes of my float and then barely get down almost to the low 160s and then right away it time to go again and so it never gets a real it stays elevated longer in your rest so like the whole time you're just weaving in and out and then eventually surpassing threshold it's just like you know like a roller coaster in and out and throughout like your threshold zone but it's just like because you don't back off a ton your heart rate takes a long time to come back down in that float and right about the time it comes back down and you're starting to feel somewhat comfortable it's like oh shoot it's time to go again and so it's kind of nice that way. I'm sure your version with the incline change would be the same. Yeah, it's less drastic. 5% is is worth, I would say, a full mile and a half. <clears throat> maybe mile hmm. and maybe two mile per hour difference. So it's it's more of a change, but I'm doing mine. These are like 60 to 90 minute workouts, 70 to 90 probably for that. So I have to have more of a drastic drop. The quality long run version is what you're kind of yeah. talking about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and if I were to do that in a quality long run, I probably would have done at least a mile and a half hour difference, at least, mm-hmm. and I would have been less aggressive with my on for sure. But mine was just meant to be short, spicy, make it suck, get it done. When um, I do short, spicy, but, then and I what, leave the treadmill where it's at, and I just change speed because the speed changes quicker than the incline changes for sure. So if I'm only getting a minute or two off, I want to get down within 10 seconds to my recovery or easier float pace. So when I do like the one, two, three, far lake or things like that uphill, for sure, I'm locking the incline at one incline for the whole round. Mm. I might play around with that, though. All I know is that eventually, like you're just running any of those float style, you just run on legs that are kind of dulled just a little bit all Mm -hmm. the time. And the flat workouts are a lot more fun in the sense where the float, you can actually sort of gather yourself a little more. Because the legs don't start to go on you as much. But uphill, even in a float, it's like my legs just don't feel good at all still. Like even at a float pace, it's just like laborious. And I think there's power to that. It makes flat running feel a heck of a lot easier. And it makes flat, hard, threshold, tempo, extended effort running seem more manageable. Because at least your legs aren't going out from underneath you, which I find in these 15% grinders happens to me. Just lead legs, I'd call it eventually yeah a standard workout could be go run at 10 or 15 percent incline and just hold it and that's that's that becomes taxing so Mm -hmm. thinking about trying to float at 15 or 10 like it's kind of a misnomer there's no free energy there you still have to work while trying to relax and that that back half everything's 
text already. So you're right. There's there's a staying yes. power component to that workout that doesn't exist on the flats. Well, in perspective, so I only did four rounds. My heart rate dipped all the way down to 143 in my first float. That's as low as it was allowed to get. Like a same float pace every time. Dipped mm-hmm. all the way down to 143. I was like, good response. Second round of the floats, 152. Next round of the floats, 163. And last round of the floats, 164. It never got lower than those. It just never gets its true reprieve, right? So pretty soon it's like, it's, you're, you're exactly right. Maybe it's not a float workout. I mean, I'm probably mislabeling it. It's probably not a float workout at all. I don't know what it is. Prescribed rest, prescribed recovery pace workout. Whatever it was, it was effective. Yeah. And uh, okay. I just want to get your thoughts on this. So I was trying to get to the point of, I just watched the Diamond League final mm-hmm. uh, at Hayward Field while I was on the treadmill doing this workout. And um, I don't know. I just, obviously I have a new love for the track. Uh, refound love for the track and it's just so I'm just so jacked up I don't even know what else to say about it other than the fact that either there's magic sauce at that field at that location there or something but like the national records American records world records that went down just unbelievable I don't know if, if none of you took if some of you have not taken the time to watch the Diamond League final at Hayward Field the Prefontaine Classic happened this last weekend um it's really great racing like it was really great racing and time chasing at the same time and you don't often see that happen together and so i'm jack go watch it folks if you want to watch it fast forward like five minutes in this episode (laughs) and then continue uh because what there are probably going to be a spoiler or two here but it the peacock has paid for itself in the last two weeks having the ability to watch world championships and then the diamond league final the diamond league final might have been the most outrageous two days of racing i've ever watched because it felt like a championship race, like a national or world championship, because races were coming down to leans at the end. But it also felt like a like a Monaco Diamond League because they were running so, so fast. But like you said, you're getting the combination. You were getting fast times and still great tactics and kick finishes. It was just maybe the most outrageous 48 hours of racing I've ever watched. I agree with you. And it was the world record in the women's... 5k 5K. it was the in the 5k it was the american record in the mile in the 3k it was basically national records across the board for the big nations we will call it i think the first Um, seven like great britain in the mile set a national record or and or a personal best Right. And season leads in every event, meaning the fastest times run this year, faster than at Worlds, faster than any previous Diamond League. People were just on fire. And what you saw, which is kind of a testament to peaking the grit and durability of a long season of racing, is you you saw a few world champs who won a month ago in what, Doha? Where was it? Uh, Not Doha. No, Nice. It was a month ago. Nice. Nice. Wherever the world champs were, you saw a lot of the world champs come back and not win. You saw the second fiddle, whoever ended up second or third, peaked it right as a big season ender, season banger. Some people who didn't even make the world championship finals had big performances. And it's just an interesting game of everybody planned to end their season here, just how everybody brought it together. And so they had really good coverage. They made everything about eight to nine minute. Uh, segments on NBC Sports. So you got some interviews, some aftermath. And uh, anyways, I know we've been saying this a lot lately. Like, go watch this stuff, but go watch this stuff. I don't care if you're only a Spartan athlete or a Tough mutter athlete or a trail racer. Like, racing is racing and it's inspiring. And so I'm inspired. I don't know what to do with it right now. Well, and this is peak pinnacle racing. This is 
These these are people who have gotten at or just below their ceiling and are racing at that level, which isn't always the case. I think in the past in track and field, you had people front running like crazy just alone, and you never know, like, could they work harder or faster if they were pushed? You're seeing it. You're seeing people at the top of their fitness with someone else pushing them all the way down the home stretch. It's just the it's the highest level that we've really seen in history or currently is happening in track and field. And, and the 800, we didn't even say the 800. Yeah. And Two outrageously fast 800 times on the women's side. 154. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kai. And the men's, we had two people go under 143. We didn't have a sub-143 time yet this year, and two people did it. So people are just coming together. Canadian national record, world lead, mm-hmm. uh, again, for the winner. You saw the rules reversed. First and second was flopped from the world champs. Same with the 800, the thing, Mo and Keeley Hodgson. The old world champ took third, uh, Mora. It was, just, it was just great racing. Anyways, and what you see is, like, athletes at the pinnacle of their season, it's like a testament for risk-taking. They go out. It's like, I'm either going to do what I intend to or I'm going to go down in flames, but there's no going to be middle ground. There's no tomorrow. This is it. And so it's kind of inspiring to see, like, can Jakob Ingebrigtsen run a world record in the mile and going out on pace to potentially do so? It's just like, and yeah, Yared and a goose and all that. It's just unbelievable times. But it's like, like, yeah, these people are showing up to the line and, like, bringing it. Not just like let's see what happens. It was it was just fun to see risk taking, and every single one of them took risks by pacing. And almost every single race, it paid out for somebody. So it was just fun. Calculate. My final piece on this is that the finish line looked different than I've seen all year. Maybe it's because everyone knew their season was done, or because there were no titles on the line. Everyone just wanted to finish out with a PR or a great finish. But everyone, it looked like a last chance meet in college, minus the pressure. Everyone just got done and milled around and high-fived and hugged everyone. There was less standoffish behavior. There was no posturing. It was just like little kids out there happy to be doing their best again, which is kind of rare to see at a professional level. You'd see eight or nine people all just excitedly talking about how fast they just ran. Yeah, a lot of smiles, a lot of happy and relaxed. Mm-hmm. That feeling of relief when it's over, I don't know how else to describe it. A feeling yeah. of relief when it's over after a long season and then also – some optimism towards the next year already with season enders being very productive. So I agree with you. Um, okay. Not like we're on a time crunch. We're not, not, not on a time crunch. So we should probably jump into it today. What well, kind of segues nicely? Off? Yeah. With them wrapping up their season. Yeah. We want to talk today about how to wrap up your year because everyone's season, everyone's year is different. Some people are following a race series. Some people are peaking for a fall race. Some people are just getting into shape after injury and are unsure how to move forward. But how do you end, if you need to do so, a season or a year of running and or racing and then move forward with that? Yeah, and you don't want to end your season like apathetically. And what I mean by that is like just like a random training week or something and things are like kind of – and then you're just like, I'm just going to take a break or I'm just going to like half-ass it for the next three months until I get motivated or determined or disciplined about the next year. And that's the way I don't believe you should end your season. It's just like kind of like a mushy, blurry, sad, drawn out, like mm-hmm. not purposeful training months, um, which people fall a trap into. I thought I was going to pick a fall race, but I didn't. I decided not to go do this. And now I'm just kind of like 
putting my shoes on every once in a while and going out and doing things haphazardly, slowly losing and inching away from my best fitness because I just don't have a plan. And I don't want that for people. What I want is to finish out your season earned, whether Mm -hmm. that means picking a time trial or an FKT or a Strava segment and going after it, whether it means culminating with a big race, but something in which you're working towards ceremoniously finalizing your season so you can move into base phase or off season for next year appropriately, or at least in quotes, earn a recovery or rest period. And so instead of allowing it to be blurry and just saying, I don't have anything till spring or late winter, ceremoniously deciding like a line in the sand and when it should be over and picking something to do in which you feel it is warranted to turn your eyes to next year. So that's how I look like big picture at the how to end your season conversation. You and I Why are you almost, smiling? Well, because you and I almost never discuss where we're going with a topic. Generally, the way this works is we have a list of topics or an idea of topics in our mind. And one of them says, one of us says, here's where I'd like to go with today. Let's do this topic today. And the only time we don't do that is if there's a topic that really does require some up-to-date research or some further planning. But this is one of those where we said, let's talk about ending the season and what to do. And then we both have like 10 seconds to kind of gather our thoughts and we press the button. And immediately I thought Mm -hmm. of that. Where I wanted to start is the exact same place you took it, which is I just want closure. I want clarity. I don't think you have to end on a high note. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can have to avoid ending on a low note. You just have to know what note was hit. And so I think I started smiling in the middle of it because you said exactly where I wanted to begin, which is you got to just, you don't want fuzziness. I think there is something super powerful about riding off into the sunset at the end of a year, like a bunch of the athletes that we just watched, the pro athletes, hit their personal record set a national record, a world record, and now they just ride off knowing I I've, I hit my ceiling. I could not have done anything else. I need two weeks to recover, and I'm excited to get back to work. But it is equally powerful to just crash and burn and have nothing but agony because it's definitive, and it, it gives you purpose and clarity and direction. And that's what you mm-hmm. really want in an off-season is clarity and direction and purpose. And, and, and I think you need to fabricate that moment. If you finish up a race and you're like, man, I don't know. I think I could have done way better, but it wasn't terrible. Or my race didn't happen. I have all this fitness. Should I just start building? I think you need to fabricate, create a moment where you can go out and do something, find an FKT, go try to set a a personal record in a long run on a, a loop, you know, sign up for one last race, but get some clarity moving into off season. Even if it's negative, like I might be way worse than I think finding out that that's true is not a bad thing. I mean, outside of excitement, shame is like probably the only other most powerful motivator in training, right? Embarrassment that works just as well as excitement. Mm. Not that we're trying to promote that, but We've both been there. That's powerful. Bracken, it's like we've started off this episode being able to finish each other's lunch. Damn you. Sentences. Sentences. I was going to say the exact same thing. Oh, shoot. In the in different words, but you to, to bring this back to the Prefontaine Classic this last weekend, you saw a couple. Now, we're, we're highlighting the highlights, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. There were a few who laid eggs, who fell off the back, yeah. who... Finish going like, holy shit, I am 
done. I need a break because mm-hmm. I'm heading the wrong direction. And I actually think for those athletes, it's it's probably clearer, to be honest, than it is for the athletes who finish on a high note. You finish on a high note with the best you've ever done, and you like that's more motivating than anything. You're like, what if I had another crack at this? What if I extended my season another month or two and took advantage of what mm-hmm. I have today? The athlete who fell off the back and went down in flames is like, frickin' put me in a corner, leave me alone, let I need I am tired. I am I have missed my window. I was feeling good and now I'm not. That's not a sign to double down. It's a sign to back off. And they're like, I need my offseason. Please bring it to me. There's no questioning whether or not I need to go and try to tackle this again if you go down in flames. And so there is power to that, right? There's power into both sides of it. But either way, it's like a punctuation mark on your season. Um, and so I think I think you're right there. Just like fear is a good motivator as long as as well as positive reinforcement, they both equally work. But I think the main point, right, is to to have a plan. Yes. To have a plan to finish out your season, whether it's a race or whatever it is, or a big week or a time trial, whatever it is, unless the writing's on the wall and you're getting to the point of the year where you're like, well, oh, I haven't felt very good for like three weeks. My last race went like crap. I'm feeling a little demotivated, even mm-hmm. though that word, again, let's not get into that. That's a subjective word. Um, if that's the case, maybe it's better to pull your plug, pull the plug, uh, take a recovery and then recite on next year if the writing's on the wall. But otherwise, let's go out with something we can put a punctuation mark on and then actually breathe, take a rest, like do something that actually requires an actual reset, whether it is a reset from just the mental connection to your training and racing, or it's a physical reset truly where you're actually not putting out effort for a chunk of time so you can be renewed with vigor moving forward. And so um, I don't know where you want to go from here. I have thoughts, but I'll let you sort of take it. Well, I think that that what you were talking about where the negative end to a season can be better is an important point to to build from. And it's not that everyone should come into the offseason pissed off and just full of rage to, to work on everything. <clears throat> it's that when we get exposed – if you are the type of person who looks forward to getting rid of that feeling, it's going to come from addressing the areas that were exposed. So, And so you build a holistic plan for your offseason to I'm going to address this, 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 and this so that this never happens again. And then I'm going to move from there. Where if you finish on a PR, you move forward with vigor and excitement and optimism. And I think we've both had this experience. It is very easy to whitewash your whole season with the positive glow and say, I did all of this Mm. and now I just need to get a little more. Oftentimes we forget why we did it well and we focus on the one thing that we could make better. So my example for this would be, uh, I'm going to use my high school senior year and then my first year of OCR. So my first year, I mean, my, my high school senior season, I've talked about this on my get to know me episode, but so I'll do cliff notes here in cross country as a senior, I got out sprinted for the final individual qualifying position to go to state, uh, by what? Two hundredths of a second. I got out leaned at the line and, uh, they take the top five individuals. I was sixth. And then our team lost by two points for the final qualification spot. 
So they take the top two teams. We were third by two points, which is just one person getting passed by another person in the shoot. That's all it is in the finishing shoot. And so it was just so close, but I failed in a very, like very visceral, tangible way. And I was devastated. And I trained that winter in order to not let that happen again. It was my first off season of training. I've talked about this. You know, you've never, um, you've never told that story. I never did not know that's how your cross country, you did yeah. not talk about that. Yeah. Uh, that that's how your season ended. That is heartbreaking for a high school athlete as a senior to miss out that close on both accounts. Uh, yeah. No, I've never known that. And I would imagine that bus ride home and those next few days were like some of the worst days of your senior year, missing out that closely. But anyways, continue. Didn't yeah, I? well, I, I mean, I crossed the line in disbelief. I had never been out sprinted at the finish mm-hmm. of a race in my life up until that moment. If I lost, it was earlier. If I got to the end, I was going to do it. And I got out kick. Uh, Mark Mitchell, do you know that name? He ended up going to, I believe, Stevens Point, ran in the WEAC with us. I don't. Anyway. Uh, and then, but, but I held on time? to hope that our team could do it. Our team hadn't been to state in like 20 years as a team. And we had built for four years together. We had the same crew all the way through. We had worked for this. And then when they announced the final score, I just walked off into the woods and cried for like 20 minutes. I just couldn't handle life. And so it was really bad mm-hmm. afterwards, but that feeling got me out of bed. I took two study halls in, in my first two classes of the day and dropped them both. So I had a 90 minute block. I got up at six each morning, went to school and either lifted or ran. And then showered and then started class from there. Like I was very dedicated. And then I I dropped like 20 seconds in the mile that year and a minute in the two mile and ended up getting a scholarship to go run at this podunk little college. But it was a definitive point in my running career, seeing these, these, these weaknesses clearly just put out for me. And all I wanted to do was work on them. And fast forward to my first year out of college, I found OCR. I trained for 26 weeks for the world championship got there. Hobie and Cody were gone on the course and I was the best of the rest that day. I outran everyone else, had never been on a real mountain before. And I was like, listen, I did all of that, but these guys would both run 14 flat in a 5k because I hadn't watched their race because they were out of sight to me. All I have to do is be faster. I can beat everyone else. I just need more speed. And I spent all year working on my 5k, 10k speed and compromise running at 10k. And I got to world championships and I cramped out at 11 miles because I'd forgotten what got me third place in the first place was bulletproofing my entire body with pounding my local ski hills and tons of compromise strength work and carry work. And I was dragging a tire up and down the ski hill and carrying a 45-pound weight plate over my head to work on core stability, knowing I would need it for descending and killing tin. Like I did a lot of unsexy two- to three-hour grind workouts, and I scrapped those for 10K work the next year because I've got all of this. I just need Mm. to be faster. So this great success at world championships led me to a horrendous showing the next year because I had blinders on. And so I think it's really important that what whether you finish strong or poorly at the end of your year, you can't have blinders on. It's not just what went right and what went poorly. It's why did it go that way? What did I do to get me right to this spot? How do I replicate it and improve upon it for next year? And I think there's something only like 20% of runners have a coach. And so you're probably, if you're listening, doing this for yourself. And so you don't have that outside set of eyes on it. And so making sure you just don't go, hey, everything's great. I just need to work on this one thing or everything's terrible. I don't know where to start. Having a very specific list 
that needs to be addressed is the single greatest thing you can do starting an offseason. Well, do you think that list uh, is irregardless of ending on a high note, a low note, or an apathetic note? It should be, yes. But the way we make our list is always well, skewed s- by how we finished. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the lesson there out of your story is don't lose sight of what got you there, right, Correct. in the first place. D- right, so your list may just – your list may or probably should if you've had a relatively successful season. Your list should probably include most of the things that you've already been doing, mm-hmm. continuing to do so, and you will traject a con- – continuously the right direction right but i think i think an assessment is important i think i think ending ending definitively okay instead of blurry when that ending happens doing a systems check and a reassessment of what uh what went well what didn't and then getting getting back to work uh including or incorporating those things i think i think a lot of athletes excuse me i think a lot of athletes uh, look really far ahead. I have athletes already sending me their entire 2024 race calendar. I'm like, holy mm-hmm. smokes, you're you're on it. And then I have athletes who it's I got a blank page. I'm like, what's what do we do? We have anything anything coming up? I don't know. And I, I'm actually in that camp. I don't know about you. I have nothing right now on my on my calendar. But um, either way, having a general sense of what you're working towards, and then after a reset, getting to work towards that with your list so to speak. And you're a list maker. So I think it doesn't surprise me you went that direction. Uh, would be a good thing. What's your What's your list? If you had to talk out, you know, your list, do you have anything that jumps right out? Do you want me to pull my list up? <laughs> do you actually have a, a list written down? Of course. Of course I do, Kirk. Because what's happened here right, well, again this year? Sorry. I got to the end of the year and I am not ready to go do the things I want to do. And so my list making was, why did I arrive here again, not ready to do what I want to do? Sure. And what can well, I, I think do people, to move forward ahead of that? Yeah. I think people could learn from your example. So mine's pretty simple. So I... Oh, well, you want to start Maybe there? not as profound as yours. Yeah. My, mine is to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> and I'm realizing for, for me is... Uh, I've realized that, yes, I need to get faster in order to accomplish my task at hand, which is still, I think, number one has my heart is breaking 15 minutes in the 5K. But what got me here, very little speed work has gotten me here. Very little speed work. And it was easy for me to, I could sharpen down and hit faster than race pace stuff. But for me, it's continue the longer grindy threshold sessions, these float style a lot of stuff slower than race pace or barely touching it and then sprinkle in i've realized just just close the last three to five weeks faster than race pace stuff but the staple foundation of what i'm doing like in a holding pattern right now until i pick my next effort Mm -hmm. is like don't go away because i need speed doesn't mean i need to go run faster than race pace all the time what i'll do is i'll trap my fitness so my big takeaway is like I've never doubled down on threshold and grindy stuff like I have this last year or two, and it got me here. Don't forget about that. Just because I need right. to run 17 seconds faster in a 5K doesn't mean now go just rip 400s all the time. That's not the answer. So for me, it's continue to do more of what I'm doing and then maybe take sharpening a little more seriously a month out from an effort I care about. So that's it. That's literally it um, for me. And I don't need to run much longer than 90 minutes for my long runs. I'm realizing I'm for what I'm trying to do right now, I don't need to go run with those dull dead legs 
often mm-hmm. I'll ramp that back up after the first of the year as I have some trail races coming up that are longer. But there, that's me. Is that fair enough? Is that a list? I don't even know if that's a list. Well, it's There's great. two things a list. It's it, yeah, it's it's great because it's it's succinct and it's accurate. You're treating what well, I think what we fail to do sometimes is we fail to remember, I know I've said this already, but what we did to get here. I think we have to look at it like we're an outside um, auditor coming in to fix a business. Like when you when you finish fixing that business and you turn and you buy into another one and you're going to help them, you don't finish with what you or you don't start with what you finished with in the past business. Got a motorcycle going here. I'm going to wait for a second. You hear that? Oh, that's you. I was like, yeah. Can't stand this. They sit out there and they just rub their throttle while they sit on their phone for a while until they take off. Sounds like a jackhammer from my end. <laughs> Somebody jackhammering over there? Not currently. I got this cut on the side. I have this hat I've been wearing. I did it last time we chatted. You mm-hmm. can't really tell. But it must hit me the same way this, like the brim of my hat, and it's just really aggravating. I keep futzing with it. Serious, serious question. Is this unprofessional? Because then it doesn't, it doesn't hit the spot that hurts. Do I look like a? It depends what your profession is. (laughs) I probably can't get away with this. I'm thinking. All right. So, anyway, then you move to the next business, and you you buy into a new one, and you're like, we're going to flip this thing and turn it around. You don't begin with the thing you finish with in the last business. You go back to your basics. We are going to build this from the ground up again. And that's what you're doing with your season. It's not, I finish with fast stuff and I PR'd. It's no, 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 no. I'm going to re-begin with what got me strong and fast. And then I do 100%. the fast stuff when it matters again. So no, I like it. All right. So here's my list. Okay. I don't know how much is going to. Uh, uh, it's washed out, but I see it's longer than I expected. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I have three columns. I can't. I have race performance yep. needs. I have health needs and I have vanity needs. So the things Mm -hmm. that I need to be able to do or to have, and then I bolded them all. And then I went through and was unbolding anything that I have absolutely currently in my life. If I can unbold it, it means I'm already addressing it. And of the 21, 15 remained bolded. And so they just stood out. 21 things? 21 things that are either race or performance needs that I would like to have present, uh, health needs and vanity needs. I can confidently say six of them. Um, And then went through and made a list of how do I get to the point where I have access to all of these things to only then have to sharpen into areas. So basically the whole theory of my offseason is get to the point where I can pivot and jump into things again. That's when I'm at my happiest. That's what I've decided. Mm-hmm. After all this introspection we've done with myself is that I'm at my happiest when I can jump into competitions. I love doing that. And which that means is I should be within a month at all times of being able to pivot and jump into things. So then my list started from there. So a race ready type fitness, uh, an almost race ready type fitness where I'm, I'm covering enough bases where I could jump into any, I could do it tomorrow if I had to, but at least on short notice, I can be almost fully prepared. That what yes. I'm understanding. Yeah. And what that okay. historically has meant for me is very much physicality of, of race. I shouldn't even say physicality. It would mean systems. But what I've realized now is it also needs to include structure since that's what continually gives out on me. And so a big point of emphasis is how do I get back to the point where my structure can handle the training required to get to my race ready fitness mm-hmm. 
so that I can pivot. So it used to be because I never eroded my structure from the time I was four until I was 28. I could just layer on whatever type of fitness I wanted to build and my structure would handle it. Now that the structure is degraded, structure has to be addressed first and foremost and then build to the point of my fitness. So my off season is beginning much earlier than most. My This current build towards yep. high rocks that I'm doing with Jack no longer includes <clears throat> prepping for specifically the high rocks. It's prepping for the physical demands of what's going to come next in training. So yeah, I have my entire list and I'm actually not going to read this one out. It's very personal to me. We can talk in broad strokes. Which high rocks? Episode. Chicago, November 11th. Sweet. Okay. All right. But well, then having this list. Read your list, which I was sort of getting at. I, I can tell you the, the type of fitness. I'd, I'm not going to get into the uh, my health needs or my vanity needs. I can tell you what are my race okay. and performance needs that I would like to have at all times if you want to hear those. Those I'd like to hear, yeah. Okay. I would if you're cool with that. Yeah. This is in no particular order. Be able to jump into training weekends or camps at a moment's notice. Several times some of our Colorado people uh, – Utah, Idaho have been like, hey, just come on out. Kent constantly is like, just come out for a weekend. We'll hit the trails. We'll do a bunch of high rock stuff. Rylan reached out when I was going through some some rebuilding. He's like, just come out to altitude and play in the mountains with me for a week. I haven't been able to say yes to any mm-hmm. of these things because I can't physically handle a week in the mountains with these people. Not from a fitness standpoint, but yep. from a, I don't think I can safely descend or do a high rocks workout on back-to-back days because something's going to give out on my rear chain so be to the point where i can say yes to fitness adventures i dig it sit in a place where i have an engine to go at an hour to two hours hard whether it's afton whether it's high rocks whether it's a local 15k have one to two hours of engine year-round doesn't have to be sharp doesn't have to be technically proficient but just Mm -hmm. have the engine and the structure that can handle an hour to two on any given weekend be Beautiful. comfortable you can always race down or go down from there too so it's like you're not Correct. capping yourself within yeah. a month you can be ready for 30 minutes within a month you can be ready for three or four hours if you're already at one to yep. two hours bulletproof have a comfortable and efficient stride at any pace i'm tired of being at that point where it's like could i go run a mile yeah but will i maybe tweak something running that or will i be horribly inefficient or threshold or 10k all I'm just too out of touch with certain paces. It doesn't mean I have to spend all week long working on mile speed, but just have enough things present there. Always be able to jump, land, and cut. Going through the process of picking up basketball or downhill or playing soccer or whatever again, the further I get into my 30s, the less I can lose the ability to be dynamically resistant Mm -hmm. to impact and change of direction. And then we start getting, oh, okay. Always be able to run a mountain hard. Not necessarily well, but just be able to run uphill hard as long as I want and be able to rip all the way down without second-guessing my structure. Yep. Is that the end of your list? There's more? No. Then it gets very specific. Type of times I'd like to stay in, like where my sweet spot of what could I maintain all year round for specific times and paces that i think i'll keep right now but those are the broad strokes well i think goals well right um and i like that i think what you do with that is gonna be like the question right for people it's like i have no flat speed or i suffer going uphill on the mountains or i so i need to do x y and z so it's like taking your list and then creating a roadmap in order to address those right but you need to start with the list for sure uh yeah i do 
Okay, so during football and NASCAR lately, I've been doing the the homework on this. So I have all the things I want to be able to be able to say I can do next spring, next summer. So now then I made a list of all the workouts or training styles or progressions that ever checked any one of those boxes. All of them. So what is every workout that ever made me feel good running downhill? What is every workout that ever made me feel like my engine is strong for one to two hours? What is every workout that ever made me feel like I can go out and run a 430 mile or two minute 800 or that I can push a sled hard and do walking lunges and still run comfortably after and not have my back lock up? List all of those out and then sort them by sharpness and intensity. So at the very top of the list are the the sharpening workouts, the high intensity, the 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 finisher stages of work. And then at the very bottom are the most approachable, non-impact versions, non-specific versions. And then compile a list of only the pieces that give me huge return on my investment for the least amount of initial risk what we would call the base building versions of those and stick to only those mm-hmm. until the next progression is ready to start so create a hierarchy of progression through the workouts this is where i can live comfortably in a way that will work on all those 21 boxes that need to be checked but in a way that only prioritizes structure first and then if it has system benefit to it fantastic but we're working with a structure emphasis until the structure is beyond reproach because I have time. It's September. I can spend two, three months on this, and we still haven't even hit January. Uh, side tangent in Chicago in November. Yes. Okay. So there is a time. There is a bit, not a time crunch, but there's purpose. There's a fire yeah. under your butt a little bit to get yeah. working on it. Yeah. The key for you uh, is structure, 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 structure. It's being able. It's being able to withstand all the things you're talking about, so you can actually do them. And yeah. move forward in a healthy manner. I agree with you 100%. And we're sort of getting not off track because this is important, right? But I think to bring this, to put glue on this, why we're spending time on Bracken's list and what needs to happen for him to move forward, is that how to end your season is synonymous with how to begin your next season. Correct. They go absolutely hand in hand. So ending your season doesn't mean like, oh, now I haphazardly get to F off in left field or have no structure or purpose or meaning or grand design to what's coming next. No, we need structure and purpose and grand design to how we finish our season. And after you give yourself, I'm a big advocate of one to two weeks of no running and just total metabolic reset. Mm -hmm. We have grandeur and purpose and a plan for when we start thinking about next year. And all that happens earlier than people think. It's not like January 1 comes and it's like, hey, we can start looking at next year. If you do that, you're behind. Mm -hmm. It starts whenever the end, whatever your ceremoniously end of your season or year. And you might even race in November or December like Bracken is. But his season, like your season could end now in September, for example, as we sit here talking, it's September 19th. And then you get to work on what's coming in November, but there still is a season end and then there's a season beginning. And I think the athletes who get frustrated with their progression get blurry. Well, I race all year and there's no ceremonious or punctuation mark beginning or end, but you need to create that. If you're one of those athletes who are constantly racing, you still need to create an ending, 
create a reset or an off period, and then create a rebuild. Like if you don't do that, you will never see close to your potential. And so I think whether you're an athlete who ceremoniously has an end date and then not another race for three or four months, or you're somebody who just can't help themselves and need to jump into everything, this conversation doesn't exclude you either. It actually includes you probably more than anybody else because you don't have a hard line drawn in the sand for yourself. And so I think what I'm trying to get at and bring this together is the fact that as one season ends, a focus now begins on the next thing, and they both need to be addressed in this conversation. And that's why I think we got – uh, stuck for you know a little while on the whole like what's next conversation because that yeah. was intended to be part of our talk today. Well, I think it highlighted your approach versus mine, the difference of what people need to be doing. <clears throat> what do you end your season with? That determines what do you start your next with. Yours is simple. You had like a three-point list. You have all this fitness. You've built it up sustainably. You feel great. I'm taking my doctor prescribed rest. I'm getting into bow hunting for a little bit. I'm going to check out, still do runs and everything, mm-hmm. but then I just get to get back to work and do more of what I did last year. So you can check out for a bit. Go do your thing. You've built all this. You're not going to lose it. We've already talked. It takes 20 days to start really losing any sort of fitness. If you do nothing for 20 days, you're good. Go take 14 and have fun in the woods. Whereas I'm sitting here, I don't really have much built up. I have decent overall fitness. You know, in the past few months, I've run a 432 mile, a 1654 5K, um, and hit some decent lifting metrics. Like, it's not nothing, but I have no sustainability in my structure to be able to take that and go anywhere with it. So I get to get to work today. Mine started 10 days ago with my off-season build. I have brought less to the table, so I don't need to take time away. I need to be building now, and the sooner I can get to work, the sooner I will arrive at a place where I can start doing the type of training that you're going to pick right up with in the off season. So the better your fitness is, the less you are pressed to get back to work. And the worse you're sitting at physically, the less time you need to take away because you need to build consistency and sustainability versus the person like a Kirk who's, I'm fit, I'm strong, I'm healthy. I just need to recharge my batteries. And when I'm ready to get back to it, we know where we're starting. Yeah, you brought up just uh, something that um, just sparked a thought in my head with a handful of athletes I'm coaching right now. And I have a feeling you probably have a handful right now, too. Um, And you're actually sort of part of this camp, I would say. I got a few that are hanging on by a thread. They're managing (laughs) plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. They have had reoccurring piriformis syndrome. They are at the end of their wits. They have... They have another race on the calendar. They're trying to get to slow in November, right? That's their big end date. But now we're sort of limping home, right? Like we're trying and I get it. And a long season of training and racing has worn on you and broken down your structure, much like Bracken's outlining. There's probably what? Don't you think there's probably 25% of our listeners managing something at this point, if not more, right, in some if capacity? Not more, yeah. And so, if not more, right, it's typical. And maybe you're training through it, or maybe you're having to cross train a day versus run each week or something, but it's degrading you slightly from your potential. Um, just a side note to that with Bracken's list is like doing that assessment and systems check, like um, addressing the things that prevent you from training the way you want. I believe should be priority number one. Yes. So finish your season, do the cross training to get through it and hit your a race in November. You know, it's not, now's not the time to reset. If you got a race in six weeks, like, so do what you got to do to put, you know, to patch the holes. Right. 
But then, like, what it always comes down to is what prevented me to train as much as I want and how I want. And if the answer is time, create more time. If the answer is my knee or my Achilles, well, then we need to find a way to doctor like heck, go to PT, find a way so that you can actually train the way you want. What it really boils down to is doing a systems check, making your list that way, and then making sure that you can, I mean, you're doing it perfectly is what I'm getting at. But like, there's a lot in that camp that it's like, you're going to be better off spending a day or two addressing that than going and running another run where you limp through the end and you're like, God, that still hurts. Like you'd be better served not to run that day and go to PT. You'd be better served going to the gym and working your instabilities. So I just wanted to like say that. And there's a few of my athletes who are like, Hey, we're pulling the plug now. We need to address these things. I've had that conversation with them. But for those of you out there, like don't let history repeat itself. Like Bracken's a tempting or going to do with fixing his structure like that is the lowest and highest hanging fruit at the same time it needs to be addressed that is your ceiling and your floor and it needs to be it needs to be taken care of so i just wanted to like run with that for a second yeah the start of your off season is if there was like a theme to it it's pay now or pay later and so we're gonna pay now you have time now and that's why i like starting it earlier than later because then you don't have to worry about the outside pressure of, but I need to have this for this coming thing. Just pay now. If this is debt and your friends are about to head out on a cruise, like what's more exciting? What would be better feeling for you? Going on this cruise right now and having this nagging stress the entire time that I shouldn't be doing this and I'm going to pay for this or skipping the cruise and being able to spend freely next fall. We all know it would be being able to be debt-free and spend freely nine months from now. But oftentimes, we choose that cruise because it's going to be such a fun time, I don't want to miss out. But we know that's dumb, and every single person would tell you that's dumb. So do that with your training. Yes, I'd love to go do this thing right now, but I know my tendonitis. I could get on top of it. Maybe it'll be okay, maybe it won't, or maybe it'll flare it up. Just remove the question. Get rid of it now because the last thing you want is to be answering the same question. Trust me on this. The last thing you want is to have the same outlook next year at this point. And then the year after, we think time's going to solve it. No, behaviors are going to solve it. Time is just going to allow you to do the same thing for another year. You have to change the behavior now. You have to. So if you have anything you've brought to the offseason, that is priority number one. This is a triage center. Start with the low-hanging health fruit. Move to structure. Then move to systems. Could not agree more. It kind of reminds me of something that's uh, Stephen Menya, my coworker. Uh, I work with him every day, and he was a uh, Kenyan-born, and he was on our podcast, I don't know, two years ago in a great episode. Um, but he said something during an episode and it was very simple. It was like, I am what I did two weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am what I did two weeks ago and like, let that sink in. I firmly believe you are what you did two weeks ago. You are what you did two months ago. You are what you did two years ago. And so paying now, AKA eventually that will be two years ago. And eventually you will have addressed things like looking into the future, right? Yes. You are what you did two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago. And I've really, that stuck with me. Him saying, you are, I am what I did two weeks ago like that. And then you always pounding the pay now or pay later. Like those two things are really guiding principles. In fact, and this is a tangent. I didn't run this weekend. I took Saturday and Sunday off because I had something weird going on with my lower left leg. And I said, 
like I wanted to run. I had other stuff going on. I just said, you know what? It's not worth it. Like live to run on Monday and Tuesday and get your crap done. Like mm-hmm. pay now or pay later. I am what I did two weeks ago. Yeah, well, if what you did two weeks ago injures you, it's <laughs> yeah. less beneficial than hitting that tra- training session hard. And then anyways, point being, use those models, folks. They've gone a long way for me. And what you're saying outlines that. Like get ahead of it and eventually you can say like I am what I did two weeks ago. I am what I did two months ago. Like I, mm-hmm. I fixed the problems. Um, as a little tangential, but oh, you, so you get good. the sentiment. And we're all sitting here feeling exposed in some way or another, whether it's two weeks ago, two months ago, or two years ago, most of us have a time there that we regret. Like most people have that person you regret in your past. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I dated that person. I can't believe I saw that person for so long. Who's that person for you? What's their name? I'm just kidding. Don't tell me. Hurt. That's a joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. You went right for the kill with one of your first ones. All right, continue. Yeah, that's right. Uh, She knows who she is. I have that Uh for my two-month and two-year look back. I don't have a – I am who I was two years ago. I have a blank. Like I identify my best moment of fitness, my best block of training in the last four years for me. Like someone – please present that to me because I'm intimately acquainted with my training and I can't point you to a time in the last four years where I was just like I've done it. So pre-Tennessee mile, Tennessee, I would say you that had a yes. block. Yes. And Not then bad. I came off of that yeah. and I screwed it up. So I have that. <laughs> That's hindsight, but continue. You're hard on yourself. Well, only because uh, the proof's in the pudding. <laughs> I'm sitting here doing the same rehabs over and over. So the, all I can do is say, all right, I take my loss. I have lost all these battles. Let's turn the tide of the war, but we're not going to know it until two years from now for sure. I start with my two weeks. Exactly. And then chain together two more and two more and two more. And suddenly we have two months and, hey, we've got a little stew coming here. And then two more and two more. And finally, it's six months in a year and two years. And I can look back with pride and say, hey, look where I am now. The same way you can sit in 11 stress fractures and suddenly look back and say, look what I have now. Like it's always worth it once you arrive, but you don't necessarily realize how real the destination is going to be until you get there. It doesn't always feel like you're making progress. And I just have to sit in that mode for a while. And that's okay. I just have to trust that these two weeks mm-hmm. are going to be my two-year rear view two years from now. It's like a rebuilding year in sports analogies. Like, ah, this is a rebuilding year. They took the sacrifices. They drafted a few rookies. They cut their quarterback. And they, like, we understand that it's going to be a few years. And we're going to put our nose down and do the things necessary to see into the future. Mm -hmm. And we will be what we did two years ago. It's like a rebuilding for your body. And I don't know why we're getting stuck on this. Maybe because it's a little personal touching home for you right now. But But there's um, a lot of our athletes who are on this. And the difference is. Yeah. You will get better by doing the piddly safe things where a football team won't. Football team's gonna, with a whole bunch of rookies right. is going to come out and get crushed. Me doing a bunch of leg builder and back builder workouts and running easy volume uphill, I'm going to improve. I like guess not just sacrifice two years. It's sacrifice three months, surprise yourself at the end of those three months, and then build up, build up, build up, and suddenly you're at two years and you're like, I really have had a great year and a half in these two years. And I don't even remember the beginning when I didn't feel fit. All right. Well, let's summarize and kind of put a bow tie on this thing here and attempt to do that in the next five or 10 minutes or something like that here. Um, First of all, before we do that, is there any 
like we got a little tangential. We got a little stuck on like the after you end your season two, which is really a new beginning, we'll call it. But mm-hmm. do we miss what? What do we want to hone in on? What other ideas have popped into that beautiful noggin of yours that we need to like really hone in on? Otherwise, I think we should just summate a little bit our thoughts. Yeah. Well, the one thing I always say on these type of topics, I will repeat, which is think about what would be dangerous if my biggest competitor did one thing for the Mm. next two months. If they just did this one thing weekly, how dangerous they would be. What if they just did a thousand extra feet of vert every night on their incline trainer for all of the off season? What would I, would that terrify me when we got to our next mountain race? It doesn't have to be something crazy like that, but what one thing could I just do right now? Where my sharpness doesn't matter, my race readiness matters a little less. If I just did blank for the next blank weeks, how scary would I be? Now is the time to start thinking about doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I agree with you. And for you, I believe it was like long days in the mountains or something. Like if you saw somebody was just putting time in, mm-hmm. volume, long days, like it's probably pretty indicative of what would move your own needle, right? Like yeah. amongst all else, you might be better at high rocks if you just went to the ski hill three times a week and just grinded, right? Suddenly yep. you'd get to high rocks, do some specific work and be like, whoa, where did that come from? It's a pretty good north north guiding star, I think. Like if I'm afraid my competition would be spending a lot of time doing this, it's probably going to be one of the answers to me right. improving my fitness. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll summate my thoughts. I am, I've gone through bouts of shoving this down your throats, listeners, in the past, but I am a huge proponent of taking rest more often than people take rest, okay? That is, if you're having good, consistent training, it's with purpose, you're racing, you know, all that, of course. If you're in and out of injury, all that stuff, which some of you are, this doesn't apply to you, but I really believe to summate, you work towards something. doesn't even need to be a big thing that trashes your body where you need the rest. Like, that's not what I'm implying to finish your season off. Like, you don't need to go run a marathon to earn, like, a season ender. Like, you could go try to run a mile as fast as you could or literally just go rip your local Strava FKT on your – freaking city blocks situation doesn't matter but something that just feels like you chased it mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me and then have a real time to reset like if you're one who's been training consistently i'm a firm believer in two rest cycles a year which means like you should take one at the end of spring early summer that means at least a week away from running and then another one sometime later in the year that's just my personal bias it's not objective it's subjective and you're probably due for one most of you listening so you work to something, you you draw a line in the sand, you reset, and then you take Bracken's advice, you make the list, you assess what needs working on, and you gradually, smartly layer in that sort of progression as you look towards next year. Whether your racing season has already ended or it doesn't end until November or December, that doesn't matter to me. The point, I think, is if you've been consistently training, it's work to something, reset for 7 to 10 days, no running get back to work using Bracken's philosophy. That's how you should end your season, again, in my very biased opinion. But just one guy with one one opinion here. It's a beautiful opinion. Kirk, we've done it. I want to leave with a, uh, a small little product update. <clears throat> I just, in our last gear episode, yes. 
Building Our Dream Closet talked about the Usue hydration pack is my new go-to. I yep. took it out twice this week to test because you said, how much have you tested? And I realized I haven't tested enough. I've tested, but not enough. So mm-hmm. I took it out two times for runs. And the way I test vests is I wear it for a few miles and I return to the car and I put on a different vest for a few miles and then I put it back on for a few miles. Mm-hmm. And it just highlights the differences in, in, in how everything sits and carries and access and everything. And I put it on and I really liked it. And the second workout, I put on the, um, what's it called? Ultra Spire Basham vest, Amanda Basham's vest she designed mm-hmm. and loved yep. it. I've only ever used that vest on the treadmill while preparing for Seven Sisters uphill and I decided it couldn't carry enough gear to be my go-to. This is the first time I've taken it outdoor. It is made for me. I was carrying 40 mm. ounces on my back in two different hard or semi-hard flexible plastic bottles, and it just disappeared. It was so good. Really? So, yeah. And I do like the semi-formed bottles more than soft flasks. And so even though I still promote the Usway vest, it's still fantastic. Uh, I might have just stumbled upon accidentally into a vest I've had for a year and a half now that might be my my perfect vest for me. It's probably like a dozen of our listeners who put the Usway vest in their cart last week and bought it. It's like in route, and now they're hearing you tell them oh, you won't <laughs> that you like the Basham vest more. Well, I, I like it because funny. it has a bottom I tried getting Amanda Basham. And I love that. Mm. It's almost like wearing a high belt there. And we both love how it sits there. Mm. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I don't know what they say other than I've tried to get Amanda Basham and we've had some text exchanges. Uh, she's, you know, with Justin Grunewald. They now have two kids together and she's busy. But we've never were able to align. So I'd like to get her on. In fact, after she released her vest was one of the times I reached out and mm. just couldn't get it. Couldn't get it, you know. If anybody wants to volunteer as our, our guest getter, you know, for the good people that are running public, that's the biggest that's the biggest barrier to success we have here is, is getting good guests locked down. But anyway, side note, want to talk to her still. Maybe I'll reach out. Maybe that was my sign. I'll reach out again. All right. That's a wrap. Anything else? I know you got to record a Race Brain episode, so you need, what, 15 minutes to recharge, refuel, probably sit on the toilet, all that. I've been doing that this whole time. <laughs> It's like one of those camping chairs. Yeah, it's compost, composting and all that. Makes sense, the facial expressions I've seen throughout (laughs) the last hour. All right, this is going nowhere. See you, folks. 